welcome to Mod Path Chat, the official podcast of modern pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the editor-in-chief of Modern Pathology and the chair of pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto. Welcome to the second episode of ModPath Chat. Our guest today is Dr. Pedro Margani, Professor of Pathology and Oncology at Johns Hopkins University. Dr. Argani is one of the leading national and international experts in the field of surgical pathology, and he has a special interest in renal tumors and molecularly defined neoplasm like the entity we're going to mention today. By the way, Dr. Argani is uh, one of three senior associate editor of our journal Modern Pathology, and I thank him for all uh, the great efforts that he put in that role. Pete is here today to discuss his publication that will appear in the next issue of the journal. The study described the occurrence of EWS Krebs fusions in potentially a novel uh, entity of group of neoplasm with epithelioid uh, morphology that tends to occur mainly in the uh, peritoneal cavities. Welcome, Pete, and thank you for accepting our invitation. Thank you, George. Let's start with discussing what are the uh, circumstances or the background that led you to perform this study. Well, uh, George, these case, uh, this study really began with a series of uh, tumors that I had seen and that my friend and collaborator, Dr. Christina Antonescu at Memorial Sloan Kettering had seen. And uh, these were uh, neoplasms that were difficult to classify and really didn't fit cleanly into an existing category. Um, many of these tumors were epithelioid tumors that occurred in the peritoneal cavity of young patients and um, didn't fit an existing category that we could you know, cleanly put them into. And um, because of this, um, we studied these using molecular techniques and uh, came up with a, uh, a more, I think, cohesive definition of this uh, potentially new entity. So uh, you you mentioned molecular techniques. Can uh, let's let's spend a couple of minutes talking about uh, in terms of study design. Uh, what were the techniques that really empowered you uh, to be able to define these these neoplasms? Well, I think the the main uh, technique that help define these was RNA sequencing using a, a variety of platforms, uh, in, you know, including the Archer platform. Um, but uh, that led to the discovery of specific gene fusions in these um, lesions, not all of them the same, but all of them revolve, involving uh, related genes uh, from either from the EWS family and the Krebs family. And um, we're able to confirm this using the using fish to be sure that the results from RNA sequencing were valid. Uh, how would you summarize the salient findings in terms of clinical and uh, and uh, pathologic findings that would really point uh, a, a pathologist, a general pathologist, to to this entity? Well, yeah, this, these are um, tumors that. Uh, 
that don't ex fit an existing category, but if you had to put them somewhere, I, I think the way I think of this tumor is um, it's a tumor that has some features that overlap with angiomatoid fibrocysteocytoma and also mesothelioma. So it's a tumor that's typically composed of uh, relatively bland cells that are usually epithelioid. And um, like um, angiomatoid fibrocysteocytoma, this is a tumor that often has a prominent lymphoid cuff around it, um, often is, is cystic, and has, as I said, epithelioid cells. But unlike an angiomatoid fibrocysteocytoma, this uh, tumor is usually uh, immunoreactive for cytokeratins and shows epithelial differentiation ultrastructurally. And actually, um, which makes you think of, of a potentially of a, a mesothelial lesion, particularly because many of these tumors uh, label for, in a nuclear fashion for WT1. However, unlike the mesothelioma, these uh, tumors do not label for calretinin and ultrastructurally they don't look like um, mesothelioma. So really kind of a hybrid, a tumor that doesn't quite fit a angiomatoid fibrocysteocytoma and doesn't quite fit a mesothelioma that sort of has features of both. And like you mentioned, the location probably is uh, is one of the clues, right? Yeah, most often involving uh, mesothelial line cavities, particularly the ones in, in children often involve the peritoneal cavity. But we have uh, now with with the of a molecular definition, there's um, the 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 spectrum is expanded, so not all of them involve that, but there's certainly a predilection to involve peritoneal cavities. So if I if I recall, a couple of them were in the extremities, right? Yes. Excellent. Now, uh, what uh, in terms of follow-up and behavior, how, how did they behave? And, uh... Well, uh, these tumors are malignant. The, these have metastasized. Um, these are all relatively recently identified cases um, uh, so that we don't have the full follow-up. But these are, are clearly malignant neoplasms that they have recurred and, and metastasized in these patients. I was intrigued that uh, I think two cases at least the metastases were to lymph nodes, which uh, which is not a typical of a sarcoma. But uh, uh, can you comment on that? You know, I think it, these are epithelial, at least by ultrastructure and by keratin. So that may um, play into it. Also, just the the location in the the often in the peritoneal cavity with the lymphatic drainage of that may explain that, um, but it, it's an interesting point. In terms of uh, the morphology and the differential diagnosis, you mentioned, I think the, the important point is that these things sit in the middle and make you think of uh, angiomatoid uh, uh, FH versus mesothelioma. Anything else? Uh, I believe some of these tumors were mislabeled like uh, uh, sex cord uh, tumors and what have you. Can you can you point to other traps where where you think this could be mislabeled as? Yeah, I think given um, you know the WT1 labeling and if the keratin isn't very strong, certainly that makes you think of sex cord tumor. Um, if you some of the tumors have had, in addition to the more epithelioid areas, a round cell appearance, and you couple that with having an EWS rearrangement in a small round cell tumor, you know, often the default is to think of uh, Ewing sarcoma, um, which I think was one of the, the, the uh, diagnoses that was submitted. Um, 
Another thing to think about is, I think, um, myoepithelial carcinoma, another lesion where we're talking about having, you know, an EWS rearrangement, um, often occurring in young patients, sort of a broad morphologic epithelial to spindle cell um, spectrum. Um, these tumors didn't show other muscular markers of myoepithelial differentiation, didn't show S100 immunoactivity, um, and that would argue against that possibility. Uh, molecularly, I know uh, as a group, uh, they showed the fusion, the chimeric transcription uh, factor from EWS and CREB. Uh, can you uh, specifically mention uh, uh, what, uh, what partners uh, were involved, uh, at least predominantly in these cases? Yeah, many of the cases were fusions involving EWS and CREM, which is one of the three members of the, the, the CREB CREM, CREM, factor family. So you have ATF1, CREB1, and CREM. Um, in addition to EWS, we also had cases which, instead of EWS, we had the related uh, gene FUS, FUS, um, which also is known to substitute for EWS in other tumors. So um, mainly, so those two families of genes are fused in this tumor in variable combinations. Fascinating. The, uh, to me, the uh, promiscuity of, of the partners uh, and swapping around, not only in this entity, uh, but, but in, in the other entities that you mentioned, uh, it's fascinating. Uh, and from the practical point of view, just makes our life uh, even more uh, difficult because uh, you tend to think as a surgical pathologist uh, that we want to have certain morphologic features that hopefully track along a molecular underpinning, uh, and, and, and that doesn't pan out all, all the time, as, as our experience uh, in an area that you and I share interest in, renal cell tumors, have shown us repeatedly that after you define an entity based on a molecular, you start uh, looking and, and you couple it with a certain morphology because that's how you started, right? And, and then you start uh, sequencing tumors and finding that same molecular in a morphology that is totally unrelated and hence what you do with. And, and then if you add to that, the jigsaw puzzling of the different partners, the, the picture become even more complicated for us. So as, as a, an editorial discussion, how do you see the field evolving? I mean, with us more and more using, you know, people sending for foundation uh, medicine and all of us in our uh, academic centers having the capacity to do Archer and what have you, these techniques becoming more available at our fingertips as surgical pathologists, which is a great thing. Uh, how do you see that impacting uh, our our day-to-day -day practice? Yeah, I think it's it's becoming more and more important because many of these tumors, you know, you can't go and just say, oh, it's an EWS rearranged tumor, I'm done. Um, and it's actually, I think, made the job much more interesting. It's, it's, it's amazing that you can, you know, at this time, find new tumors using this technology. But I think it also points to the importance of careful morphology correlation, because, you know, as this family of tumor shows, and, and there are many other examples, you can get the identical gene fusion in the identical molecular in tumors that are completely different in, in their phenotypes and in their behavior. Um, so I think it's, it's, uh, it's exciting, um, but it also, it doesn't minimize the importance of morphology. If anything, it, it makes that 
more important because otherwise you can end up with a, just a confusing a picture of gene fusions in many different tumor types. You you really need both together, and that's I think what makes our job so much fun. Uh, I'm glad uh, that will keep the excitement, and I'm glad that will keep uh, our day job. Uh, that we still need morphology till at least AI replaces us. Uh, if we may. I, I never believed that, but. Uh, I guess the other thing is 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 one of, could be that find good partners like uh, Christina Antonescu. So we'll couple morphology with molecular and uh, what a team uh, on this study. I, I really thank you. This has been a fascinating discussion. And uh, again, I thank you for your lead role uh, in the journal and uh, many additional publications to come. Thank you very much, Pete. Thank you, George. Take care. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of modern pathology, Springer Nature, UAB, or USCAP. Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Netto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Catherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions, music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.